Hear the word of God from Romans chapter 8, verses 22 through 30. This reading comes from the Common English Bible. You can find this reading on page 919 in the Pew Bible. We know that the whole creation is groaning together and suffering labor pains up until now. And it's not only the creation. We ourselves, who have the Spirit as the first crop of the harvest, also groan inside as we wait to be adopted and for our bodies to be set free. We were saved in hope. If we see what we hope for, that isn't hope. Who hopes for what they already see? But if we hope for what we don't see, we wait for it with patience. In the same way, the Spirit comes to help our weakness. We don't know what we should pray, but the Spirit himself pleads our case with unexpressed groans. The one who searches hearts knows how the Spirit thinks because he pleads for the saints, consistent with God's will. We know that God works all things together for good for the ones who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. We know this because God knew them in advance, and he decided in advance that they would be conformed to the image of his Son. That way, his son would be the first of many brothers and sisters. Those who God decided in advance would be conformed to his son, he also called. Those whom he called, he also made righteous. Those whom he made righteous, he also glorified. The word of God for the world. Thanks be to God. Well, first things first, in the 12th minute, United States women's soccer team and the Netherlands are tied at zero. (laughs) Just get that out of the way so you can focus on me, because apparently the sermon is good for a change. Each of the three sayings that we have looked at for the past three weeks all explore a very different, very real human need. We started this series off looking at the phrase, hate the sin, love the sinner. Those folks who use that phrase are earnestly looking for a way to combat sin in their lives and in the world. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. There are people who say God helps those who help themselves. People who say that are earnestly looking for a way to overcome laziness and that feeling of helplessness in their lives. That's a very real human condition. And last week we looked at the phrase, God won't give you more than you can handle. People who say that are earnestly looking for comfort amid their sufferings. All three of these felt needs are real. In fact, there could be many of us this morning who are feeling those sentiments. And each of these sayings is an attempt to address them, even though none of them are in the Bible. But perhaps the saying that addresses the greatest need that you and I feel on a regular basis, the toughest, deepest concern that we have, is the saying that we talk about today, the very last of our four-part series. It is the deepest and toughest question that we face, and it's this. Does life 
have meaning? Does my life have a purpose? Or am I just living in a world that is just the combination of random acts, haphazard events that happen for no reason whatsoever? Is there such a thing as ultimate significance? In other words, what does this all mean? That's the profoundly difficult question that is the basis of this final popular saying, everything happens for a reason. People say that in order to believe that there is no such thing as randomness or happenstance in the world, that there, that there is no such thing as circumstance, no purposelessness in life. It is the belief that God ultimately is in control of everything and that God has a higher view of everything that happens in the world and that somehow everything, the good and the bad, will ultimately fit together so that we don't have that stark, dark feeling that there is no purpose in life. Everything happens for a reason and God alone knows what that reason is. Now, I'm going to say something that's surprising to you, given the nature of this worship series, and it is this, that, there, that this statement, in a way, actually is in the Bible. There are, in fact, passages in the Scriptures that do suggest that God does have a sense of how things will work out for good in the end. One of the first that comes to mind is the very popular saying from Ecclesiastes 3, to everything there is a time and a season for every purpose under heaven. And Ecclesiastes 3 then goes to say that God and God alone has a sense of everything that has happened and everything that will happen, that God has a sense of the past and the future that is far beyond our ability in the present to comprehend it. Even the Proverbs are full of passages like this that give us this idea that God has an idea of how things can work out that God is working out everything to its proper end, Proverbs 16, 4, and that God's purpose will prevail over our plans, Proverbs 21, 19. And then there's my favorite passage in the New Testament, one of the first that I ever had to memorize as a kid. It's from Philippians 2, 13, where Paul says to the Philippians, for it is God who is at work in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. Yeah. To a certain degree, it is true that God is always working for the ultimate good to make everything that happened fit into God's best aims for the future. That is biblical. That is basically what Paul is saying, by the way, in the passage that he writes to the Romans, the passage that, just, that Jeff just read for us moments ago from Romans 8.28. We know that all things, that God works all things together, Paul says for good, for them that love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. Yes, God is in everything that happens, working to bring out the good in everything. That is true, that is biblical, but that is still different from saying that everything happens for a reason, especially when it comes to suffering. In 1983, the great William Sloan Coffin, a pastor of Riverside Church in New York City, preached a sermon that is widely regarded to be one of the greatest sermons ever preached in the 20th century. 
His sermon was titled, Death of Alex. It's the first sermon he preached after the sudden and tragic death of his son, Alexander. I'm going to read an excerpt of this sermon for you now, and I invite you to listen for how William Sloan Coffin struggles with that notion that everything happens for a reason in the face of his own grief and suffering. This is what he said. As almost all of you know, a week ago last Monday night, driving in a terrible storm, my son, Alexander, who to his friends was a real day brightener and to his family was as fair as a star when only one is shining in the sky, my 24-year-old son, Alexander, who enjoyed beating his old man at every game and in every race, beat his father to the grave. When a person dies, there are many things that can be said, and there is at least one thing that should never be said. The night after Alex died, I was sitting in the living room of my sister's house outside of Boston when the front door opened and in came a nice-looking middle-aged woman carrying about 18 quiches. When she saw me, she shook her head then headed for the kitchen, saying sadly over her shoulder, I just don't understand the will of God. Instantly I was up and in hot pursuit, swarming all over her. I'll say you don't, lady, I said. For some reason, nothing so infuriates me as the incapacity of seemingly intelligent people to get it through their heads that God doesn't go around this world with his fingers on triggers, his fists around knives, his hands on steering wheels. God is dead set against all unnatural deaths. And Christ spent an inordinate amount of time delivering people from paralysis, insanity, leprosy, and muteness. Which is not to say that there are no nature-caused deaths, but the one thing that should never be said when someone dies is, it is the will of God. Never do we know enough to say that. My own consolation lies in knowing that it was not the will of God that Alex die that when the waves closed over his sinking car, God's heart was the first of all our hearts to break. Those are powerful words from William Sloan Coffin, resonating with the darkness of suffering that many of us have gone through in our lives. And when it comes to suffering, he suggests that it is not only improper, it is unjust to suggest that God is the source of our suffering or that God even allows it to happen in order for some ultimate good or ultimate reason or purpose to happen. That is simply not in the Bible. And it is dangerous and even harmful to suggest that. I want to offer you a distinction I want to offer you a point that I have clung to throughout my ministry. It is the best and clearest way that I know to say it. And here it is. Apparently, you might want to write it down. God 
does not cause our suffering in order to use it for some greater purpose. But God is in our suffering with us in order to bring out the good that can come from it. I'll say it again. God does not cause our suffering in order to use it for some greater purpose. But God is in our suffering with us to bring out the good that can come from it. It's the best way I know to talk about where God is in the midst of suffering, not as the cause, but right there in the crucible of our suffering, drawing out the best possible outcome in the midst of our darkness. That's where God is. And so it does beg the question, if popular sayings like, God won't give you more than you can handle, or everything happens for a reason, are not always helpful. Wouldn't it be nice if we did have a set of sayings that we kept handy, that we might even write down right now, yeah, get out the pen, that you could use to speak to someone who is suffering? Well, I do want to give you six helpful sayings. They're not from me. They come from a woman named Kate Bowler. She wrote a book that actually is the basis for this four-week series that we have been covering uh, during this last month. She wrote a book called, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved. Dr. Bowler is a professor of Christian history at Duke Divinity School, and she was diagnosed with incurable colon cancer at the age of 35. That diagnosis sent her into a crisis of faith, making her question many of the popular Christian positions that people were telling her, including everything happens for a reason. This book is her memoir. It's a powerful meditation of how she learned to let go of the parts of her Christian faith that were harmful and confusing and dangerous to her and instead embrace the parts of her Christian faith that were brave, that were courageous, that were beautiful, and that were life-giving. In an interview that she gave with Time Magazine, she said that her faith now is one that, quote, that in the midst of the crushing brokenness, there is the something else there, the undeniable, overwhelming love of God. At the end of that book, she offers an appendix, which she titles, Six Helpful Things to Tell Someone Who is Suffering. I'm going to put these on the screen for you, and we will leave them on there for a while in case you do want to write them down, or maybe even just take a picture of them. A helpful thing, a helpful list for us to remember next time we interact with someone that we know who is suffering. Number one, I'd love to bring you a meal this week. Can I email you about it? Kate Bowler says she loved receiving presents from people. She loved receiving non-cancer-related presents from people. Chocolate, she said. A potted plant. Even a weird set of erasers, she said. Meals were helpful, too, because she realized that even though she was starving, she could never figure out how to ask for help. So, offer. Sometimes she said... The best gifts were just a funny email that included a link to a hilarious YouTube clip that made her day. Number two, you are a beautiful person. She said she loved to hear things like this, as, as long as it was not said in a, quote, creepy way. 
or a, quote, windowless van kind of voice. She said, comments like this go a long way. She said, tell your friend something about her or his life that you admire without making it feel like a eulogy. Number three, I am so grateful to hear about how you're doing. Just know that I'm on your team. She said one of the most exhausting parts of going through this journey is feeling incumbent upon herself to update every single person who asks how she's doing about the latest gory details. One exhausting update after another as person after person asked. She said it was always a joy to talk to someone who already knew the latest update about her suffering and who told her that, she, that they already knew so that she didn't have to go through the repetition of repeating those details. So if you do know the details of what someone is going through, one of the nicest gifts you can give them is to say, you know what, I already know what's going. You don't have to share those details with me. Just know, just know I love you, I'm concerned about you, and I'm on your team. Let them know that you know what's going on and simply let them know that you are concerned. Number four, can I give you a hug? I think this also goes in the category of things to be said in a non-creepy kind of voice. But she said that some of her best moments with people have come when they simply asked to give her a hug or put a hand on her arm, or give her a, a pat on the shoulder. She said, sometimes people who are suffering feel isolated, they feel all alone, and they just want to be touched. So it could be that one of the helpful things you say to that friend is to ask if they feel up for a hug and remind them through physical touch that they are not alone. Number five, oh my friend, that sounds so hard. You know, it could be that when you talk to that person who is suffering, they really do want to unpack all of what's happening in their lives. Sometimes they do want to go through the awful details of their situation, and it's hard when they feel like they have no one else to turn to. So it could be, depending on the situation, that your best gift for that loved one is to simply allow them to open up and share all of the details. And then, I love what she says here, quote, be willing to stare down the ugliness and the sadness. She said, life is absurdly hard, and pretending that it isn't is just exhausting. And the number six may be the most important one of all, silence. I'll just quote her directly here. The truth is that no one knows what to say. It's awkward. Pain is awkward. Tragedy is awkward. People's weird, suffering bodies are awkward. But take the advice of one person who wrote to me with his policy, show up and shut up. I think that's a helpful reminder too. We are all well-meaning when we use these popular sayings, but we dare not believe that any of them are biblical. You know what is biblical? coming alongside a friend and loving them to remind them that they are not alone. When we find out that one person is suffering in our community for all of us to suffer with them, 
to remember for ourselves and to remind each other that none of us are alone through this tough journey called life, which is why it is very appropriate that as we draw this service and this worship series to a close, we do so around the communion table. Because it is in this sacrament that we remember God's true relationship to suffering, not as the cause, the origin, or the source of our suffering, but as one who chose to identify with all that it meant to be human, to all that it meant to be frail and broken, so that as we participate in the bread and the cup, we participate in the body and blood of Jesus to remind ourselves that God is always with us, and that none of us are alone. Let's remember that instead of God causing our suffering, God identifies with our suffering through the bread and the cup, and that God is always with us. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this important reminder of your presence with us through all of the highs and lows and the challenges of life. We recognize that in this very moment, in this room, even worshiping online, or even watching this sermon in archive after the fact, that there are many people who have deep needs about their own suffering and questions about the meaning of their lives and the purpose of the world. Help us to remember that you and you alone are the true gift that helps us through our worst moments. Help us to trust in you. Help us to find in you and in each other blessed friends to walk this journey. As we prepare for communion, open our hearts and our minds to the possibility that your love can be made real to us so that we can make your love real to others. Pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let all God's people say, amen. And so, to prepare for communion this morning and in response to God's Word, we invite you to prepare your tithes, your offerings, your joys, your concerns, your prayer cards, as we invite the ushers to come forward.